In Acts 4, 23, it says, As soon as they were free, Peter and John returned to the other believers. Of course, i got to ask, other believers, what are they talking about? Well, uh, Paul and, or not, Peter and John had been put in prison, and they were released, and then they had a trial or a hearing, and in that hearing, um, it's back in verse 5, uh, it says, The council of all the rulers, elders, and teachers, religious uh, law met, met in Jerusalem. Uh, Annas, the high priest, and, and also uh, Caiaphas, and John, and Alexander. And some of those names, you, you think, I've read them before, and those are the same people that committed Jesus' crucifixion. Um, so back at, at uh, 23, as soon as they were freed, Peter and John returned to the other believers and told them what the leading priests and elders had said. When they heard the report, all the believers lifted their voices together to pray to God. Now, I don't usually pray like this, but we should, I think. Um, it says, O sovereign Lord, creator of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them, you spoke long ago by your Holy Spirit through the, our ancestor David, your, your servant, saying, Why were the nations so angry? Why did they waste their time their, with futile plans? The king... The kings of the earth prepare for battle. The rulers gather together against the Lord and against the Messiah. In fact, this has happened here in this very city. For Herod and Antipas, Pontius Pilate, the governors and the Gentiles and the people of Israel were all united against Jesus, your holy servant, whom you anointed. But everything they did was determined beforehand according to your will. And now, O Lord, hear your threats, hear, your, hear their threats, and give us, your servant, great boldness to preach your word. Stretch out your hand with a healing power. May, may um, miraculous signs and wonders be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After this prayer, the meeting took, the meeting place shook and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit then they preached the word of God with boldness well good morning church Let's pray today. Father, as the early church prayed and you heard their prayer, Lord, I know that you hear ours as well. You hear our corporate prayers. You hear our individual pleas. And Lord, open our eyes to your word. Lord, let us delight in it this morning. Lord, fill us with the treasures from your word. In Jesus' name, amen. I just love to take it in. I love to see your faces. 
With each face I see, I wonder, how are you doing? <laughs> I know you can't really answer that right now. Some thumbs up. But today we're talking about prayer. However you're doing, God wants to hear your voice. Share how you're doing to him, just as the early church did when the early church gathered together. And in this section, gave the longest prayer in, in the book of Acts. It's the longest prayer given. And I think it's a great model for us to how to pray. A great model to us for why to pray. And this theme is all throughout Acts. It's the mark of being a disciple. If we go to this next slide here in Acts chapter 2. Acts 2 is the Spirit poured out into the church, and then the church starts responding in these ways. The church starts responding with being devoted to the teaching, to the fellowship, to sharing with one another, and to prayer. And so today we're focusing on this theme of prayer. And we see it in Acts chapter 1. It says in chapter 114, they constantly were united in prayer. We see it here in chapter 2. We see it in chapter 3. The first verse starts with Peter and John on their way to a 3 o'clock prayer service. We see it in chapter 4 that we'll look at today. We see it in chapter 6. The apostles delegate some work amongst the church bodies so that the apostles can be devoted, devoting themselves to prayer. We see it as the Acts continues in chapter 9. Saul becomes blinded and starts praying. And as he prays, he sends Ananias to him. We see it in chapters 10 and 11 as Cornelius is praying and Peter is praying. And through that, God sends Peter to go share the gospel to Cornelius. We see it in chapter 12 as Peter is put in jail. They have a prayer meeting that he'd get out of jail. And someone keeps knocking on the door of their prayer meeting and they don't answer it because they're busy. Well, it ends up being Peter who was released from jail because of prayer. We see it in chapter 13 as the apostles are praying and they set aside Paul and Silas saying, we have a clear direction from the Spirit. You two are meant to go. And they send him. This is a theme of the early church and this is to be a theme of every church. That is, the Holy Spirit poured out its Spirit into, our li into the life of the early church and they start responding in this way. Where did it respond in that way? It should be in our DNA. Not that we're earning anything, right? It's through faith in Jesus Christ that we have a solid foundation and relationship with Jesus Christ. That doesn't go away. But if we claim to be truly a witness of the Spirit, so Anna Westhoff was up here, sharing she's been undone by the Spirit of God. If you have the noun of being a witness of God and His Spirit, then the verb should follow, should it not? The verb of witnessing that to the world. And these are the ways that the church witnesses that to the world in a really beautiful way, a way that we'll continue to look into, a way that the 
letters to the churches make very clear prescriptively in how to do that. And here in Acts, we're looking at these patterns. And it's just so beautiful to see what God does in the church. This is what we've been looking at throughout the last couple weeks. We've looked at fellowship. We've looked at the teaching. Today we're looking at prayer. And not only in Acts do we see answered prayer, but if we go to the next slide, we see prayer all the time. It was my birthday yesterday, and so I pulled out my journal, and I looked back over the last year. I saw answered prayer, stuff I've forgotten. My favorite answered prayer was when I got to write, Dad is in remission. That was pretty great. The month that we moved here, we had heard my dad's cancer was back. And he had prayed that he'd get the right clinical trial that the doctors thought would be perfect for him, just taking a, a pill form and very low side effect. He got accepted into that clinical trial, and out of the three options, he got the exact one that they were hoping for. So it was all covered for, paid for. They even paid for his hotel, hotel stays up in Mayo. Praise God for that. Another thing I noticed in my journal, week after week, I just kept praising God for health. And I realized our first couple months here, I was sick pretty much. Well, looking at my staff, they're going, yeah. Half the time, I don't know. I, <laughs> I don't know if was, there's different germs in Iowa than Minnesota or, or if it's the corn and soybean fields in my backyard that I wasn't used to. Um, but God's been giving us health, and so I praise God for that. I see answered prayer and praise God in our church body as I look at some of you in terms of health. Some of you weren't able to sit in these pews throughout the last year because of your health, and I see you. I praise God for you that you're here. Some of you are here, and quite honestly, I knew that it would only be a work of the Spirit to get you to come to church. <laughs> and you're here. God's on the move in your life. I praise God for that. He continues to answer prayer as he did in the early church. Our first text, we'll go to that here this morning in verse 23. Peter and John were just told that this whole disciple thing, they needed to stop that. There's people in the world that don't like that. The enemy of God, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but it's against the spiritual powers of evil in the heavenly realms. And the enemy doesn't want you to do that. He tries to deny that. Peter and John were told they were tried to be denied that. And there's over 50 countries in the world that it's either illegal or dangerous to do that to go about with the teaching of God's word and the fellowship of God's people, to pray in his name, to go out and serve in his name. It's denied across the world. It doesn't mean it stops it. Amen. But here in America, I think it's less denied and more just distracted. We're not thrown in jail for being a disciple of Christ. 
We're enticed away from it. We get in a whole different cycle, a whole different circle. We put ourselves in chains of our own doing, <laughs> of our own entertainment, of our own pleasure. And that's just as effective from keeping us from living out what God wants us to live out. But the Spirit wants to move. Wants to move in your life, wants to move in this church, wants to move through your life and through this church. So, what do we do when we recognize opposition to what God wants to do in our life? Well, this is a great spot to start. Get together and pray. Now, it's very evident to Peter and John that things are out of their control at this moment. And I think we have those moments in life. On one hand, things are always out of our control. Therefore, we're told in the scriptures to pray without ceasing. But there are those moments that you know you are to drop everything and pray. You know when it's a time to fast. And you know it's a time when it's a time to circle up and say, we got to pray about this right now. And that's what they do here with the early church. When they heard the report, all the believers lifted their voices together in prayer to God. And this is what they pray. They start off by saying, in verse 23, the second half, 29, uh, yeah, 24, the second half. Um, I wonder if I got that wrong. 24, thanks. They say, O sovereign Lord, creator of heaven and earth, is seeing everything in them. And so this prayer starts by gazing into God. So often we gaze right into our problems. I guess I got to stay over here today. But I'm still looking at you over here. So often we start by gazing into our problems, and yet they gaze into God and then only glance at the problem. And as they gaze, they start with a word for sovereign Lord that is one word. The word is despotes in the Greek. It's where we get the word despot. It means a person who has everything bound under his control. Everything is under obligation to him. And this section even ends with a word for prayer. That is not the normal word for prayer. This section ends with a word that stems from that word, despotes, meaning entreating one, requesting from the one who has everything bound under his control. So the beginning and end of this prayer is a very similar word. The reason they make those requests is because they believe God is who he says he is. If you don't believe God is who he says he is, the reason to pray is limited. But when you realize he is who he says he is, that's the start of a prayer life. I have a dear friend from my old church, and he immigrated from Africa. He was from Ghana, and he had a tough time as he did so. He understood what it meant to pray to get through those times, and he was an elder at our church. I remember talking to him one time during my brain injury. I wasn't getting better. I was having a tough time praying, and he said, Rob, 
goes, have you prayed about it? I said, yeah, I've been praying. He goes, well, then you know that God has heard you. And you know that God is all-powerful. And you know that God loves you. So, Rob, you're good. That helped me have faith in a time when I was losing faith. But he was right. I do believe those things about God. And so then I kept praying. God kept working and moving. God wants to keep working and moving in your life as we keep praying. So the Lord is sovereign. He is the creator. Colossians 1 mentions that he created all things, whether visible or invisible, in heaven and on earth, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. He owns it. Another great model of this prayer is in verse 25 as we gaze into God's word for how to pray. And the Psalms are used here. It says here in verse 25, You spoke long ago by the Holy Spirit through our ancestor David, your servant, saying. So who's this David guy? Well, David wrote a lot of the Psalms. David was the king of Israel who was given a promise that one of his descendants would be a king on the throne forever, as 1 Chronicles seven fourteen says. And this David, 1 Samuel 16, he would go to a troubled Saul who was plagued by evil spirits, and he would sing these psalms, and it says that the evil spirits would flee away. His prayer and his praise, the enemy could not stand it. And those around him hearing it, would find relief from the work of the enemy. I want to show you a great quote as we turn the slide. This is from Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He was a pastor in World War II in Germany. Imagine how hard that would be. They were denied the right to be the church, and so he went underground being the church, training seminary students, opposing a great evil. And he quotes Martin Luther here with this about praying the Psalms. And I think it's beautiful. It says, whoever has begun to pray the Psalms earnestly and regularly will soon take leave of little devotional prayers and instead say, there's no juice or strength or passion in which I find in the Psalms. Whenever Psalms are abandoned, an incomparable treasure is lost to the Christian church. But with its recovery will come unexpected power. Praying God's word is a powerful thing. We don't have to be rigid on that. We can pray our own prayers. I did some research. The shortest prayer in the Bible was from Peter when he started to stink in the water. He said, Lord, save me. 
that counts. He didn't have to recite a psalm there, right? But these psalms should be a model to us for how to pray. God's word is a model to us. Even before Jesus gave us the Lord's Prayer, and thy kingdom come, thy will be done, these psalms, 150 of them, were passed down generation and generation, modeling all sorts of prayers. Prayers of thanksgiving, prayers of confusion, prayers of a broken heart, prayers of a terrified soul, prayers of an angry person. Even prayers against enemies saying, God, do something about this. I, I agree. I think that they are a treasure. I think it's a treasure that's often lost, and I believe that it's a power that can be recovered. Acts, church in Acts. There's over 200 references of the Old Testament in Acts. Just saturated with the teaching. That's why Acts 2.42 says they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. Because there's power there. And so, Psalm 2 is quoted here. The first two verses. But there's 12 verses in the psalm that are alluded to. And I'm going to read to you the whole thing. It says here, Why were the nations so angry? Why did they waste their time with futile plans? The kings of the earth prepared for battle. The rulers gathered together against the Lord and against his Messiah. Verse 3 says, this is the enemies of God. Verse 3 says, let us break their chains, they cry, and free ourselves from slavery to God. They want to break, evil is trying to break free from the bounds of God. And yet verse 4 says, but the one who rules in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. Then in anger he rebukes them, terrifying them with his fierce fury. For the Lord declares, I have placed my chosen king on the throne in Jerusalem, on my holy mountain. In other words, I have placed all authority in the name of Jesus. Evil cannot have it. Verse 7 says that the king proclaims the Lord's decree. The Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I have become your father. When Jesus was publicly revealed in his baptism, he quotes Psalm 2 there. In other words, fulfilling the promise made to David, saying, I am the king forever. and My kingdom is firmly established. Verse 8 says, Only ask and I will give you the nations as your inheritance. The whole earth is your possession. You will break them with an iron rod and smash them like clay pots. Now then, you kings, act wisely. Be warned, you rulers of the earth. So all this authority is given to Jesus. I think of the Great Commission starts, Jesus saying, All authority has been given to me. Now you go. And here is this idea of serving, verse 11. Now serve the Lord with reverent fear and rejoice with trembling. Submit to God's royal son or he will become angry and you will be destroyed in the midst of all your activities. For his anger flares up in an instant. But what joy for all who take refuge in him. And today as a church, we take refuge 
in the reign of God and his king and his kingdom. We submit to God. We resist the devil, and the scripture says that the devil will flee from us. You see, evil is bound. Evil had to go to God and say, can I test Job? God said, yes, but no further. The Middle East is bound. No one steps in Jerusalem without God's permission. As I heard a Jewish man say once, I believe in that as a Christian as well. Evil is bound. What delight there is for those who take refuge in King Jesus. Are you taking refuge in him today? Are you praying in him today? Every moment. He hears. He's all-powerful. He loves you. You can cast all your cares on him, for he cares for you. Verse 27 says, in fact, this has happened here in this very city. In other words, this psalm has an eternal truth that applies to the early church and applies to us today. It says, for Herod Antipas, Pontius Pilate, the governor of the Gentiles, even the people of Israel were all united against Jesus, your holy servant, whom you anointed. But everything they did was determined beforehand according to your will. In 1 Peter, it mentions that the devil prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking to whom he can devour. But that lion is on a leash. (laughs) Everything they did was determined beforehand according to God's will and plan. It says here, Jesus faced that evil head on. And he hit hard times. As Christians, we can expect to face evil. And God's patience, he is redeeming evil, allowing time so that more would come to repentance, so that none would perish. You see, if God would have blotted out evil, I wouldn't be here. I'm an evil man. I needed redemption, and in God's patience, God allowed me to be redeemed. Another thing I see in this scripture prayer bringing a a clarity of reality. As he looks into God's word, as he recites Psalms 2, what could easily be disorienting for the church comes to complete sense. Gets to cut through the narrative and see how God views the situation. 
verse 29, finally comes to the request. As they've been gazing into God and his truth, now the glance towards the problem where they say, And now, Lord, hear their threats and give us, your servants, great boldness in preaching your word. Stretch out your hand with healing power. May miraculous signs and wonders be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. I think that's a great verse for us to memorize as a church next time you realize you really need to circle up and pray. To say, God, hear the threat against me right now. Give me, a person wanting to serve you, God, give me great boldness and courage so that I can continue my witness to the world. Stretch out your hand, powerful God. The hand that has split seas, the hand that has conquered death, the hand that has raised Jesus Christ from the grave, the hand that brought creation into existence. Stretch out your hand with healing power. And I might see the miracles and wonders done by your might through the name of Jesus. The name of Jesus. Jesus intercedes on our behalf. And so we pray in the name of Jesus. It's through his power that things happen. As we pray according to his name and his will. As the Lord's Prayer says, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. We pray in his name and according to his will. John 14, 14, Jesus says, ask for anything in my name and I will do it. 1 Timothy 1, 5-6 says that there's one God and one mediator also between God and man. Men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all. Romans 8.34 says, Christ Jesus is he who died. Yes, rather he was raised. He is at the right hand of God and he intercedes for us. Christ gave it all to be in an interceding spot between the church and God. And I'm troubled by the fact that if I don't pray, I'm just taking that for granted. What a wonderful privilege it is to enter through the blood of Christ, the throne room of God. To be heard. To be loved. Verse 31. It's the end of the section. It says, after this prayer, that word for prayer looks a lot like the word for sovereign Lord at the beginning. After they've entreated the sovereign one with their request, it says that the meeting place shook. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. 
the idea of the place shaking that happened in Acts 2 when the Spirit came the first time. It happens all over the Old Testament when God really wants to show people, I'm showing up. You can be assured that I am here. Man, I want that. Right? That assurance. God has showed up and he is here. My little girl wasn't sleeping last night, so in the a.m., I was holding her, saying, I'm here. She calmed down. God assures his people. He wants to strengthen and fill them with the Spirit. This concept of filling with the Spirit we'd find in Ephesians 5.18, where it says, don't get drunk, don't be under the influence Okay, of other things, but be under the influence of the Holy Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. And then it goes on to say, so go sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, right? Let your prayer and your praise come together and strengthen the influence of the Spirit in your life so that you can be guided by that influence as you go out and serve. My challenge for us as a church is to pray a prayer that shakes you. I believe this passage has the ingredients to model that for us. And if the church is shaken, the way God wants to shake it, the world is going to shake I'd like to pray this prayer here today. I'd like you to close your eyes and pray it with me. Oh, sovereign Lord, you are the creator of heaven and earth, the sea, and everything in them. Long ago, you spoke through your Holy Spirit, through David, your servant, saying, Why are the nations angry and why do they waste their time with the futile plans? The kings of the earth prepare for battle and rulers to get gathered together against the Lord and against his Messiah. In fact, this has happened in this very city. Many are united against Jesus, your holy servant, whom you anointed. But everything they do has been determined beforehand according to your will. So now, Lord, hear their threats and give us, your servants, great boldness in preaching your word. Stretch out your hand with healing power that miraculous signs and wonders would be done through your name of your holy servant, Jesus. Lord, after this prayer, Lord, will you make this place shake? Will you fill us with your Holy Spirit that we might preach the word of God with boldness, we might continue being disciples with great courage. I'm also reminded of your scripture. It says, to warn the idle, encourage the weak, strengthen the feeble, Lord. Encourage our hearts today through your word. For we know that you've heard us. We know that you're all powerful and that you are all loving. So Lord, may the peace of Christ 
which passes understanding. Guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus in all things. Amen.